what is our relationship to nature, right? Like that has been also decided by a Western colonial European lens, but there's actually a whole other way to be. Hey, you, you're listening to Not Yet, the podcast about our relationships and how they're the keys to our self-discovery. I'm your host, Paige Polk. I'm a community builder and Emmy award-winning digital media artist, channeling the powers of introspection. You're in the right place if you're mindful about the world you create and believe it's possible for us all to belong. I'm so grateful you're here. Now let's start the show. Welcome back to the Not Yet Podcast, the project about the connections that you make and the impact that follows. I'm joined today by very special guest by the name of Dario Kalmis. Hello, Dario. How are you doing? I am doing well. I'm doing well. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing so great. I'm so happy to see you. <laughs> likewise, likewise. I have been thinking lately about the joy that it is to do this podcast in particular lately um, because I began gathering with folks to talk about connection and to talk about community building and to talk about the art of a creative practice Mm -hmm. for myself. I did it for myself because I wanted to connect with other folks thinking about these things. And now it's built up to be such a steady heartbeat of my life. And I'm here on a Thursday afternoon speaking with a brilliant mind. So thank you for being here. Of course, my pleasure, my pleasure. Uh, Well, to give you a black and white version of Dario, he is sitting at the nexus of art, fashion, academia, and magic. (laughs) Dario is an artist, urbanist, director, and brand consultant currently based in New York City. He received his master's in photography from the School of Visual Arts and his bachelor's in psychology at Rockhurst University in Kansas City. In 2020, he made history as the first black photographer to shoot cover for Vanity Fair in its 106 year history with his portrait of Oscar winning actress, Viola Davis. 2020 also saw the launch of his widely acclaimed podcast, The Institute of Black Imagination, featuring conversations from the pool of black genius through the lens of design. What does it feel like to hear your bio heard back to you? Um, it feels accurate. <laughs> I mean, it's just like, it's just facts, you know what I mean? Like things that happened. Um, yeah, you know, I always struggle with bios actually because on one hand, it's like, wait, who is this for again? Like, why am I listing all of these things that I've done? Um, And inevitably, like I kind of always miss something because I think, you know, what other people find important, maybe I don't find important or like, I just forget shit, you know, because, you know, I'm just me at any given moment. And so, so yeah, so to hear bios, it's actually always quite revelatory for me because I'm like, oh, that's what they find interesting. Okay, that's cool. What is the part of you that you find interesting? The part of me that I find interesting is just a level of curiosity about things. You know, I... I funny enough um over so we're recording this today is um the 7th of july 2022 so we just came off a long weekend for uh the 4th of july independence day in the united states it's also world nubia day by the way so this is a day to celebrate nubians and nubian heritage um but i spent most of the weekend actually going through some old journals and I mean, I'm talking like from 20 years ago. So this is me like like last year in college, not to date myself um, or age myself, but whatever. It's a life well lived. Um, 
and like just the thoughts I had about like New York City and like myself and like you know the the things that I find interesting is like that there has always been this constant need and or desire to improve and to reflect like that has been what is consistent across my life it's like I actually have recorded like my failures my faults the things that I learned from them but then I also began to see these kind of bursts of like consciousness pop through at like an early age um or at least an age earlier than I thought these kind of bursts of insights about the world that I didn't really maybe didn't quite know what to do with yet but like I would just write it out and write it down um and and moreover like this constant self-soothing <laughs> like I would constantly like bring myself back to some kind of level of homeostasis despite whatever happened um and I think maybe from the outside it can seem as like naive or idealistic or maybe like ultra optimistic but like those are the things that I kind of find most interesting about myself um and maybe the things and so the things that maybe you listed is really more the residue of what it means to move through the world like that, mm-hmm. right? To constantly think, reflect, be curious, and 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 beat up on yourself, and then somehow bring yourself back to like a state of of homeostasis um, and self acceptance. Like I think that is like the work, the process. And then what you maybe read off or some of uh, what that can allow for, but not directly. When you shared, when you shared what excites you about yourself, your, your curiosity, I was really drawn to a real dedication to self. You mentioned your homeostasis mm-hmm. and that being a bit of a North Star to you in the world where you're exploring constantly. And the constant pursuit of self is really a guiding light for you, it seems, when it comes to the creations you make. Yeah, I would say so. Um, and, And on top of that, like, or in addition to, like, the pursuit of self is also, like, the pursuit of truth and in sharing that so like you know also looking through these journals like I started to see like this very nascent desire to help people like I was like what I'm in what I'm doing because I used to be an actor I was like this is like so selfish like it's not helping anybody like it's not going beyond you know the stage like I need to make sure that like whatever I do like has some larger impact right and I started I, I started to see like the seeds of like wanting to be an entrepreneur and creating this kind of like holistic space, like these dreams that I had, you know, as an early 20 year old. Um, and I think that that's what's led me to this place where I am now, which is really kind of investigating design, but design is thinking about like first principles, meaning how can we best get at the truth? Meaning how can we see clearer today than we did yesterday? Um, And then double tapping on that, like how do we remove illusion or at least recognize illusion for what it is? Um, So then, you know, I've been, this is a phrase I've been saying last couple of weeks like if we're constantly punching at ghosts we'll never make impact and so much of uh the world we live in and the um things we react to or have been conditioned to react to like the ideas of like race or even nation um are just stories they are um illusions they're not even real they are 
as light as feathers, actually, actually lighter because there is no materiality to them. And we only hold them um, by our attention or our focus on them. And that's the only thing that actually makes it real. It's like, you know, people talk about like being Dominican and people talk about being Haiti. And I'm like, well, bitch, if I'm in an airplane, it's actually the same fucking island. So what are you talking about? Mm-hmm. Like, you know what I mean? And how do we at least understand that? Now, whether or not we want to decide to believe in either one of those stories or both of them, that should be up to us. But we should also know that this is also actually the same place we're talking about. These are not two separate places, it's the same landmass. Um, and understand then the ways in which the reification um, and the attention to those stories actually have real world consequences, right? Like they actually yeah. do affect people. Yeah, our connective imagination is very powerful as a force. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. Well, you actually founded a multidisciplinary liberation studio called the Institute of Black Imagination. And I am hearing so many themes of your work about the creation process of all things and how the cumulative attention that we give to them is what brings them to life. Can you tell me a little bit more about the Institute of Black Imagination and how it came to be? Oh yeah, Um, so the Institute of Black Imagination actually began as an archive. So I inherited almost 2000 books from this multi-hyphenate artist, Jeffrey Holder, Um, and you can Google Jeffrey, um, but if you're familiar with The Wiz, that's a brainchild of Jeffrey's. He actually won a Tony, um, actually the first black person to win a Tony for Best Director um, for The Wiz. He also won it again for Timbuktu. Also a painter, sculptor, dancer, um, you know, writer, actor, um, singer. He's also married to this woman, Carmen de Lavalade, who is actually still with us and is a legend unto herself. She actually started Alvin Ailey dance company with Alvin Ailey. She actually took him to his first dance class and was one of the first black ballerinas at the Met. So that's who Jeffrey and Carmen are. Um, and in meeting Jeffrey, um, I really found um, what I had been looking for most of my life, which is a mentor who was moving through the world in a kind of multi-hyphenate, multivalent way. Um, and when he passed, I was invited to his loft and I saw these scores of books and costumes and, you know, fashion designs and sculptures and paintings. And I saw that Jeffrey had left behind this blueprint, that he'd left behind this roadmap to creativity. And, um, and then I was just like, we need to keep these books together. Like we need to keep this collection of books together for other black and brown individuals to have access to this information because it's not about not being able to read, think and do, but it's about just access to information, right? Access to the things that can and will ignite your imagination. We as human beings are really just complex filtering devices, right? And we can only output from the things that we input. So what you pay attention to actually really does matter because it's gonna come out Mm -hmm. in some way. So, Fast forward three years of me just kind of emailing Carmen every three months, <laughs> I finally get this collection of books. Um, and at the same time, while I'm kind of working on getting the books, I'm already dreaming of what I'm going to do with them. And so I wanted to create like a resource library called the Holder de Lavalade Center for Black Imagination. Um, and, and, um, and, you know, homage to Jeffrey and Carmen. Um, but while this is also happening, my own kind of artistic curiosities are expanding into the world of design. Um, I go to um, a conference in Greece and I hear this phrase called, um, a phrase um, that all design is predicted, meaning that the designer is predicting or dictating how an end user is going to interact with any given design, whether they're a modular or an adaptive function of the user. And so that's one part of it. Um, also, I'm reading a book called Pedagogy of the Oppressed by Paulo Freire, mm-hmm. um, who is a Brazilian philosopher and educator. And in it, he says that the burden of liberation is on the oppressed, not the oppressor, because only the strength built by being oppressed do you have the power to liberate everyone. And I thought 
the reason I'm bringing these up because these are the pillars that actually make up the Institute of Black Imagination. So the archive um, of Jeffrey Holzer, this phrase that all design is predictive, and then um, this notion from Paulo Freire where he says the burden of liberation is on the oppressed. And I found that to be quite revolutionary because I think there's this, well, one, he divides the world into the oppressed and the oppressor. Um, and I think that that gets at, um, that closely or more accurately describes the conditions in which we find ourselves in. In this country, it can manifest through, you know, this racial lens of black and white, but that dynamic exists all over the world. Um, also, what I found revolutionary is that he says that it's actually the oppressed that the burden of liberation is on, not the oppressor. And I find that there is this kind of cultural notion that we need help, right? Like that mm. is those with, um, who are supposed to give to those without in order to kind of level the playing field. And Paulo Freire is saying that that's actually not the case, that the act of liberation is actually um, about a restoration of humanity because by restoring humanity to those um, from which it was taken, you also restore humanity to those who lost it in the taking. And so he's saying that this is actually an, an even exchange, right? Like you taking things from me mm -hmm, is also taking away from you, right? Um, and so it's these three elements that come together to create the Institute of Black Imagination, uh, which posits um, or our kind of manifesto is that the world we live in has been designed and it's been designed by whom? and for whom. And so in a world not designed with us in mind, black individuals have traditionally jerry-rigged and hacked and remixed and scratched these very design systems because they did not fit onto our lived experience. And in that process have not only brought about our liberation, but that of others mm -hmm. as well. Um, and the ways in which we can see examples of that even in the US. So, you know, the Bangladeshi cab driver in New York who won't stop for me. Um, I guess, I don't know why, maybe he thinks I won't pay or I'm going to Brooklyn and that's too far. Um, <laughs> even though I live in Manhattan, but um, wouldn't be allowed in this country if it were not for the civil rights movement because immigration reform is actually on the back of the civil rights movement or the white guys dancing shirtless um, in Chelsea um, would not be there and would not be free if it were not for two trans women of color who um, started the Stonewall riots movement. And you know the list kind of goes on and on, um, but then also thinking about what is the beauty that is created from that struggle, from that um, reconciling uh, with a, uh, framework or design system that doesn't fit onto a lived experience, you can create something like a jazz, right? Where you have classical musicians with classical instruments who take the design of not only instrumentation, um, scoring, and even time itself, and the design of these instruments, completely remix and hack them and invent an entire new genre of music. And so the IBI is positing, well, then what does that look like on cities? what does that look like uh, in neighborhoods? What does that look like on design? Like how can we um, leverage um, and fortify and engage black perceptivity on the world in which we live now? Because I think we can really see the results um, of one design system and how that is helping people uh, live more equitable futures um, or the lack thereof, right? Um, and that it's really about really needing an outside point of view, an outside perspective to rethink what is possible, even down to what it means to even be human. Like what does it mean to be um, someone existing in the world and what is our relationship to nature, right? Like that has been also decided by a Western colonial European lens that we all have kind of inadvertently agreed to, but there's actually a whole other way to be. Hey, it's Paige here, and I want to talk with you for a second before we get back to the podcast. You've lived an adventurous life. 
picking up skills and knowledge so special that at times you wonder where you fit. You want to show up in your relationships authentically and build a career as expansive as you are. What if I told you the answers are in your stillness? Join me for mindfulness coaching and you'll learn what your intuition feels like and how to use it to build the life that supports the very best version of you. The you who's inspired, empowered, and aligned. Visit notyetseries.com to book your mindfulness coaching call with me today. Infinite, infinite ways, right? And we've all narrowed down, right? Or been conditioned to see it through this very particular lens, right? That that like money is wealth completely instead of money just being a type of wealth mm-hmm. in the range of what wealth is. So that's what the Institute of Black Imagination is about. Um, we launched a podcast in 2020. Um, we launched uh, our digital inter- interactive platform in February um, and soon come a physical space where the books will actually be there and oh, accessible really? and available. The original concept, yeah. That's beautiful. First of all, offline, please keep me updated on when this in real life, uh, this in real life archive is going to be open to the public because I'm I'm bursting. Like there are like fireworks inside yeah. of my heart right now at the idea. Uh, I can't help but go back to your pedagogy of the oppressed quote about the burden of liberation falling on the oppressed. And something about the word burden really just sticks in my brain because I'm like, okay, what is a burden? Mm. What is a burden? And like, what is a burden, but an opportunity? Mm -hmm. What is a burden, but an opportunity to explode an idea for another big bang to create something with a whole new trajectory? Because once you know what you don't want, that gives you a vision of what you do. And in order to even get that vision, you have to have contrast. In order to be visionary, you have to have contrast. You sound very Abraham Hicksy. I do listen to Abraham I Hicks. I love Esther. <laughs> <laughs> but it's true. But I mean, like that is like that is like what what nature is, right? So, um, you know, you talk about burden. You could also say weight, right? You could also say um, resistance. Um, you know, there are other um, definitions. So like, you know, muscles can only grow right through resistance. So what happens if you decide to create a world for yourself where you have no resistance? Well, you end up what weak, um, you know, even, even a flower, but pushing through the soil, like it is actually in the act of something to push against that allows for the growth. Um, you know, if you think about, you know, a caterpillar, coming out of a cocoon to be a butterfly, it's actually the pushing out the struggle to get out of the cocoon that pushes the fluid into the wings. Like without that, you couldn't fly. Like literally like your wings would be limp. So um, so there's many ways to kind of reposition that. And particularly when you remove like the level of judgment and blame um oh that's a big one historically or not and I think that just like the path our own paths our own individual paths are really just stories we continue to tell ourselves about ourselves um the uh, America or any other nation or state is, is the same and um I kind of redid my website which essentially is just like take everything off my website um <laughs> And just like, girl, we'll figure it out. Like, this, essentially, my website just says, girl. <laughs> <laughs> but um, on the about page, like, I put this quote that I just feel like is the guiding light, um, which is, what will you do now, knowing what you now know? And that's the question. Right. So like if you are, you know, a white American within whatever leanings you have, right? Whatever beliefs you have, um, and you hear about, you know, you know, a black person being shot or whatever, like outside of whatever guilt you may feel, the real question is, what will you do now 
knowing what you now know, right? And what you know today is different than yesterday, mm-hmm. different than an hour ago. And so it's a question I think that kind of one pulls you to the present because that's the only place in which you can take any level of action and then ask yourself, so what do you do now? Knowing that this country has had whatever history it's had acted upon by whomever, there's literally no one alive right now directly responsible for this country, not one person. So then the question is, what do we do now? The practice of being in the present is something I think a lot of people are still learning. The fact that we live here and now, um, I struggle with this a lot, like also being a black person. Um, I, I don't know your lineage, but my parents on both ends are descendants of enslaved African-Americans. And a lot of that oral history, a lot of the cultural history, lives in the stories we tell to ourselves, about ourselves, and also in our bodies. And the body aspect, the body manifestation is a little bit more, it takes a bit more to intervene on a cellular level with trauma, yes. And with the physical space, with where we are right now, I, I think that there is a lot of space for expansion once you reconcile with a word that you brought up earlier, which is truth. I do Mm -hmm. think that there's a difference between the stories we tell ourselves about ourselves and truth. And I am in a constant pursuit of differentiating between the two. Yes. Yes. Um, you know, I think there are many different levels and very, you know, there was one, there was one thing that you mentioned in my bio that was not in my bio, but it's a little <laughs> accurate when you said magician. Um, <laughs> like, you know, there are other conversations you can have, right? So you described yourself as a Black American. That is really about an identification with the body and the, the, the stories that have been attached to that body through the gaze of quote unquote white Americans, right? And so um, that then would be a story that you tell yourself about yourself. Um, is it the truth about who you are? Absolutely not. Um, is it the truth about I mean, does even your name page get somehow at the truth of who you are? Absolutely not. It is uh, a word. It's a symbol. It's a mm-hmm. stand-in. It's a uh, it's a uh, a sign versus the thing signified. And I'm really interested in the thing signified. Um, but even then, to still try to call yourself page is a reduction, right? Is a stepping down of the vibration of the energy that is powering a page. Um, and that is like the eternal, like I, right? Um, it is what is looking through page, what is experiencing the world um, and discovering the world and being bumped up against and struggling through and suffering through um, this kind of constant onslaught of time. Um, it doesn't stop, does it? No, it never stops. <laughs> it never stops, which is which is the best part, right? Because that means you're never stuck. <laughs> also, <laughs> like that, you know, you know, Octavia Butler says God is change, right? And so that is the if, if there was any truth that one could hold on to was like just wait <laughs> it's gonna change it'll change <laughs> you know what i mean and like i was having a conversation with somebody this past weekend of ill regard and they were we were talking about the times right in which we live and I was like, I don't know, I kind of find it exciting. And they were like, what are you talking about? Like, what are you talking about? 
And I was like, I know that's uh, like, like people, like no one would say like, this is exciting. No, I feel exactly the same way. That's why I'm laughing. The reason I find, <laughs> the reason I find exciting is because it's like, but we're alive. Like, we're alive. Oh, There's so is, much opportunity. This, this is the roller coaster we decided to join in on. Like, this is, this is, this is the epoch that we're going to be a part of. Like, this massive amount of like radical change and not only consciousness but like one's understanding of like nation and state and like like we are here at the cusp of the decline of the American empire like you know outside of like what that means right for us and the individual and whatever I'm like I mean it's kind of thrilling <laughs> like she's a thriller that art's gonna be good she's like, oscar worthy i'm saying baby like quality <laughs> like stranger than fiction like for, i was just like this is i mean outside of like again the stories we tell ourselves like it's kind of thrilling like you know it's pretty exciting um so yeah <laughs> but i think again like there are there are there are there are multiple ways um to understand truth um something that I've been thinking about recently is like even death like this I think this is a really good example of like truth and true so if you are standing on earth and you know the sun takes its arc across the sky and the sun sets well what happens well the sky changes color right the blue you know purples and reds and you know oranges and the temperature drops and things start to get a little dark and then the sun actually sets and then it's nighttime then your eyes have to adjust um to this darkness right which it's capable of doing which is amazing and because the sun is now gone you can see the stars and then there's a moon um the sounds change you know, all of the, you know, cricket, like all of these physiological things shift, right? Um, and you feel them and they are real, right? They are yes. real. They are real. They are true. <laughs> it is true that it is dark and it is true that I can hear the crickets and it's true that I'm cold and it's true that I can't see and it's true, true, true. But the truth is, is that the sun hasn't changed at all. The sun is literally just outside of your point of view. And so like the sun has lost no power. The sun has lost no energy. The sun is actually still shining. What has changed is your relationship to it. Mm -hmm. And so when we talk about, you know, even death or the death experience, all of those things that you experience in the loss of someone, right? Like the feeling, the, the grief, like all, all of those things are true, right? And they are real and you feel them and there is a physiological change and shift mm -hmm. to that. But does that actually change the essence of what that person is, right? Or that energy of that soul, it doesn't change it at all. We are only reacting not to the truth of the matter, but our perspective to the matter. And so I think that can be applied in many, in many ways, right? That it is really about relativity that we uh, react to or even physiologically react to versus like the truth of the matter or like the essence of it. I like that a lot. I, I think about death often um, as a mindfulness practice, it helps me remind myself of what I'm doing in the now, mm -hmm. like the, mm -hmm. the acknowledgement that one day I will pass. Mm -hmm. And I am, I, I think about my own passing eventually. And I also think of the passing of people who I have loved and their own, own time on earth and though I have felt grief and loss and mourning when I think about though my relationship to them has shifted they are still very much 
period. They are still very much. And I love your distinction between true and truth. Thank you for that. <laughs> yeah, girl. Yeah, yeah I know you'll be out here writing in the journal, you know, just thinking about things. <laughs> just thinking about things, dreaming about things. Um, and liberatory design lives through many sanctions of it sounds like your brain, but also your work, intellectual theory, community building, photography, even your podcast. Uh, can you tell me more about how you began recognizing the distinction between your technical skill and ability and your theory and approach to the work? Um, that's a really good question. I think it was a period of like, you know, post-grad school from SVA and like kind of getting into the world of fashion photography and editorial and like hating it. And I was like, this is a mess. Like, why am I paying all this money to like pay for these shoots to just like end up in some like esoteric, like Eastern European magazine um, that nobody's gonna see. Like, it doesn't make any sense to me. Um, and so I stopped, I stopped and I, um, began to focus on portraiture and um, became more involved in the art world because I was very interested in like art, mostly because I didn't understand it. I was like, <laughs> I would go to these like art fairs and like I would see people staring at like contemporary art and I'm like, this looks crazy to me. Like, I don't understand what y'all are looking at or why this means anything to you. Like this seems like a bunch of dots on some cardboard. Like, I don't get it. I was like, but obviously they get it. So let me figure that out. And so. Um, kind of ingratiated myself in the art world, which which really showed me that there was an academic there was an academic uh, side of myself that I had in a way left behind in undergrad because um, I was very much a, a strong academic student, and I somehow it's weird how you think about things, but like, I thought that like art and academia were like completely two separate things. Mm. Like I thought I had to choose. Um, and so in re, re um, or I should just say like positioning myself within the art space, like there was a larger conversation to be had, right? Like, it, you know, there began to be a conversation around, you know, society, um, history, um, even consciousness, I don't think I quite gotten there yet, but like really thinking about my, what am I saying? You know, instead of like just taking right technically a good photo, like what am I saying? Like, what am like, is there an actual point of view behind this? And then how do I double down on that point of view? How do I begin to develop a singular, um, point of view in the world through the lens of like photography and art um and as I began to just do that over and over and over again like with no real with no real aim except to find it um I began to ingratiate myself in other spaces that allowed for uh a more expanded flourishing. So while I'm existing in this art space, I'm also um, working with fashion designers, right? So being a visual director at public school, I end up um, becoming a casting director and then eventually show director at Pierre Moss and saw that in this space, I could actually combine all the things, right? Like I could combine my, my knowledge of you know, image, um, and storytelling along with my performance background, um, along with like my writing and academic background, right? So I could actually position the story, or sorry, the, the fashion show um, in a continuum, uh, right? Along a continuum of like history and black history, like actually contextualize it um, in a way that I think um, fashion shows were not being done at the time. Um, I'll definitely give 
credit to like a Grace Wells Bonner, who at the time was actually really imbuing her fashion shows with a level of kind of like historical research, um, which is revolutionary at the time. But again, what are you saying, right? So like that there's not just the spectacle for spectacle's sake, but mm -hmm. how do you then actually begin to subvert the spectacle? Um, and like I said earlier, like I'm super curious. So I'm always reading as well. So Patagonia the Oppressed, but also like Society of the Spectacle by Guy Debord, which gave me a vocabulary to actually see the world through the lens of spectacle and what the spectacle allows for and does not allow for, and then how one can engage it and then subvert it. And so, um, you know, so, you know, expand, you know, through the fashion show. And then interestingly enough, came back into photography now with this whole other set of skills, mm. right? Of theory, quote unquote theory, that then manifest in, right? Like this cover for um, Vanity Fair in which I was able to combine like sheer technical skill um, layered with this whole other um, perspective of like art and history and race and, um, you know, consciousness. Hearing about your journey with practice and then theory and then coming back to practice with more theory, I am reminded of how in order to predict, we have to explore. And with that in mind, what are you exploring right now? I'm constantly like taking things in, right? Like constantly exploring things through the lens of capital and capital acquisition, um, psychology, um, architecture, design, um, culture and spirit um, and seeing the ways in which they speak to each other. Um, the, the patterns that kind of pop up um, that maybe hitherto for had not been addressed or um, allows for one to, to understand the zeitgeist um, and what is what is possible right in the future, given an understanding of the past. And so, for instance, the way that that manifests in a predictive sense is, you know, Roe versus Wade was just overturned. And one could react to just that, which one would be completely justified in doing. Um, but there's a couple of things happening actually. Right, that you know, Roe versus Wade was overturned hours before gun laws were greatly expanded. Right, <laughs> in the um, on the side of gun ownership, um, like that morning, right, which many people didn't speak about because of the you know the heavy reaction to Roe versus Wade. So just really those two things, again, if you kind of just drop the emotion of it, you can clearly predict what those in power are wanting to allow for in this country, right? Like just those two things, but that's not it, right? There is, or there has been actually over the last 20 years, a very concerted effort to fill state legislatures with not only like majority Republican, um houses but super majority houses right and so you have states that even if the population itself is blue the legislature's still red um so that stacking has happened and i'm from missouri and i've seen that happen to my state since i left like it's crazy to now even say i'm from missouri people think that i, I don't know what they think but it's just it's not how the state used to be actually um so there's that happening. Um, and then I saw an ad for some movie, some Barbie and Ken movie that's supposed to be coming out. 
like I don't know if you said baby I don't pay attention (laughs) I saw it and I was like that doesn't make any sense (laughs) like but really like you know what I mean like like in the world in the world even the world we've experienced in the last three years right there are artistic projects that I had that I was working on prior to COVID that literally do not make sense anymore because of the way in which the world has shifted right and and I've dropped them but a Barbie and Ken movie in 2022 with like white (laughs) Barbie and Ken it doesn't make sense. It's it's actually an anomaly and- um, Or it makes a lot of sense. And exactly. Because then, right, it then actually makes sense if you consider all of those other things. And then you can see that there is a much larger story that's being told, right? There's a much larger movement that's happening. And that's how you can predict right? So it's not actually in the reaction to the thing, the one thing, but it's actually in the collection of things that seem to be disparate, right? When you really see that there is a setting up. And right? I think the what tendency, the, what were you saying? Go ahead. No, I was going to say, because like, what does a Barbie and Ken movie do in a, in a year 2020, 2022? Like what it does is it actually reinforces like white beauty aesthetics on a national scale um it actually brings like in this world of like a place like a place of like this mass level of diversity like dni and like you see black people in ads brushing their teeth and stuff like (laughs) in that world a barbie and kim movie does not make sense one it's childish like it's completely immature right it is this this fealty to um um and uh to immaturity um, and then it's also this reinforcement, right? It's actually kind of like a backlash. It's almost like how Trump was a reaction to Obama. It's like this kind of like reinforcement of white beauty norms on a national scale in movie theaters. And, you know, these actors and actresses are really pawns in that game. So what does that do? Well, that actually set, sets up, right? Also, let's remember crypto. Let's also think about these. Like, there's a lot of things happening. It opens up a level of anarchy and like reign of white supremacy in this country that um, I think we just haven't witnessed in our lifetimes. And that's not like a doomsday kind of prediction. It's just what, it's just seeing the channels that are open and what, what the flow of that would allow for. I'm reminded of a conversation I had with my late grandmother and maybe the second year of Trump's presidency where I was dumbfounded at just blatant human rights violations being nationally televised um, and then cycling on a 24 hour scale, just like the onslaught. And she reminded me that everything in life is in a constant cycle. Mm-hmm. Everything is in a cycle. And when you're able to recognize that that motion is happening with or without your consent, <laughs> then you're able to ride the wave. Yeah, exactly. And recognize where you are on the wave. And the, when it comes to like the political, cultural, scientific revelations and shifts that we're experiencing in the now, I hear a lot of conversations centered around fear. Mm-hmm. Of like, what happens when we return to this point in the cycle? And it's like, yes, we're going back to that point in the cycle when it comes to an opening of ideology. And yet change is still constant. We will not be in the exact same place that we were 50, 60 years ago because it's impossible. And yeah, so exactly. What yeah, will you exactly. do now that you know what you now know? Come on, doesn't that get to it? I'm sorry. Like it just is like, woo. Like it just it is the question, right? Like what will you do now, knowing what you now know, and um, and that's that's 
spot on, right? Like that's spot on because in because because here's the thing, and this is and this is what this is what the IBI is about, right? Like it's actually the black imagination, right? And even you know we can even understand black imagination as something that's even beyond race. Like it's 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 um it can be about what does it mean to move in those interstitial spaces, right? What is it? What does it mean to exist in the space that the light is couched in? Because you actually can't see the light except it being couched in blackness. And so, what does it mean to exist in that space? And so, in a way, there's a reading that actually goes beyond race um, because it has to because race is not even real. So, um, and that is where, right? Like the things that I mentioned just now. Are points of light and what we're not seeing is there is all oh, this other space light. infinitesimal space to move into that's what Stacey Abrams found right in Georgia right like in a place that is a super majority Republican state um and one that and even 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 one that denied her flat out her governorship she actually leaned further in, right? Mm -hmm. She actually went even deeper. And like, I mean, I don't like to be hyperbolic, but kind of almost single-handedly completely converted an entire state blue. Like, like all the all of the grassroots organizations that were pushing like the votes, she founded all three of them. I was like, oh, work. Like, that's what I'm talking about, right? Like that's that's what we need in Congress. Like that's what we need in these decision-making places because Nancy Pelosi, child. She wants to put on a and and that's what we're talking about when we say the burden of liberation is actually on the oppressed. Like she can't, she can't even see, mm -hmm. right? And that's no shade to her. It's it's what is it's what does it mean to actually be unburdened, right? Mm -hmm. That that there's there are certain muscles that just literally have not even developed. It doesn't mean that they're not there. It doesn't mean that they, mm -hmm. it's not a potential. And they can be developed. Yeah, girl, it's just going to take some work. <laughs> More work than I have time to deliver. <laughs> Thank you so much, And Dario. it's not my labor. It's, <laughs> you know what? Yes. Yes. Thank you so much. My heart feels so full. I feel so many bursts of ideas and thoughts that will continue oh, good. to grow. Uh, before we sign off, could you shout out uh, what you're building right now and where the Not Yet community can find you on the internet? Right now, I am continuing to build myself. Um, <laughs> constant work in progress. Um, and like I mentioned earlier, the Institute of Black Imagination um, can be found at blackimagination.com. It is a bit of a game and it is mobile first, actually it's a mobile native, um, but it is our digital interactive platform. So you will encounter um, something that forces you to get really present um, because it's a little game. It's a little puzzle that you have to solve. And only through that do you actually have access to the information um, behind it or afterwards, um, but it's lovely. And then, um, you know, you can follow me on Instagram at dario.studio, um, Black Imagination, at Black Imagination. Yeah, that's it. I mean, I'm getting ready to go to Harvard in the fall. So that's, uh, that's taking up a lot of my time. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed today's episode of Not Yet. The podcast is hosted by me, Paige Polk, and produced by Paige Polk International. The show art is made by Elizabeth Olguin, and the music is by Elder. Don't forget to subscribe here. And if you want more of this love in your life, visit notyetseries.com to join the Not Yet Project and community.